A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This week's guest really knows how to commit to a character. Drunk uncle, I hesitate to say this. I think you might be a little too drunk. He's my president, Colin, because he's finally going to get rid of all of the, all every single one of them. Wait, wait, don't, don't, don't say it. What? Crime, Colin. I was going to say crime. He's going to get rid of crime, oh, okay, man. Okay. Come on. Crime perpetrated by immigrants. Oh my God. Drunk <laughs> uncle, everyone. So This is The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast, and that was Bobby Moynihan as Drunk Uncle on the night Donald Trump hosted Saturday Night Live in 2015. Bobby spent nine seasons as a cast member on SNL, starting in the fall of 2008 when Tina Fey debuted her Sarah Palin impression and ending in the spring of 2017, after a year dominated by Alec Baldwin's Trump. Now he's come full circle, co-starring in the latest NBC sitcom from Tina Fey and Robert Carlock. On Mr. Mayor, Bobby plays Jaden, the communications director for Ted Danson's Los Angeles Mayor. It's the latest in a long line of lovable weirdos Bobby has created since getting his start in the early days of the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater in New York. Bobby was always one of my absolute favorite people on SNL, So it was a blast to talk with him about the surreal experience of joining a show that he grew up obsessing over as much as I did, and what finally prompted him to move on after appearing in nearly 200 episodes. All right, let's get to it. Here's me with Bobby Moynihan. So I I want to talk to you about Mr. Mayor, um, but I kind of want to start um, a little back because I know this project came to you through Tina Fey, who um, I was really fascinated to learn that, that your first episode of SNL was the first time that she did Sarah Palin on, on Saturday Night Live, right? So what do you, what do you remember from, from that night? Maybe we can start there. It's funny you say that. I have a very, very distinct memory. Like one of my most vivid memories of SNL is walking out onto the floor for that first episode because I was just, I remember being like, try physically try to imprint this on your brain so that you will remember (laughs) it at all times. Like I was definitely in that. I was aware of, of that. I had worked my entire life for that moment and then kind of forgotten went like, Oh, that's Tina Fey doing Sarah Palin. (laughs) So like it was, I, I remember that moment like crazy. Yeah. It was, I remember standing there going like I used to watch her on the show and now I'm standing here and I'm on it. (laughs) It's crazy. Yeah, that, and you were the you were the only new cast member that beginning of that season. Uh, yeah, John Mulaney and I were hired at the same time. He was hired as a writer, and I was hired as a cast member, and we shared an office. Were you friends with him before the show from uh, from UCB or anywhere? Or did you? Did you, did uh, you know yeah, him? I I knew him and Nick Kroll. I I think I played their son in the Oh Hello show in the early days. I used to play their 
son who wanted to be a rapper. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I guess to, to back up from there a little bit, did you, you said, you know, you'd kind of been working your, your way towards that, you know, first episode of SNL getting on the show for your entire career. Where, where were you in your life and your career when you got the chance to, to audition for the first time? I think I was, uh, you, you know, I graduated college. I was an acting major in college. And then I came back home that was 99, I think. And then, yeah, kind of found Upright Citizens Brigade a few months later or, yeah, almost right away and then stayed there for as long as possible. And I remember Amy Poehler getting SNL like a couple months after I started doing UCB stuff. And I went like, oh, I'm just going to stay here. And <laughs> you're like, this seems like the right place to be. Yeah. It, well, yeah. And I also just found hundreds of other like-minded friends and stuff and we just tried to make each other laugh under a grocery store at four o'clock in the morning <laughs> for 10 years and then snl came around in 2008 right yeah yeah were you so you were a big fan of the show growing up did you feel like a strong connection to the to snl yes very much so i definitely did i i was the kid who i taped like audio cassette taped the audio of the 25th anniversary special and would just listen to it on the bus like <laughs> dis disjointed lines from sketches from the 70s that i had no idea what they were I was just like kid in my school the only kid going cheeseburger cheeseburger and they were like we don't care we don't we don't, we don't care <laughs> you, you didn't find you didn't find a lot of like-minded uh, snl fans in in elementary school <laughs> i think i did just not at that age that deep of a cut <laughs> what was your kind of era that you connected with most on the show when you were growing up who were the people that that you really uh connected with i mean i feel like Every, Lauren always says everyone's favorite uh, cast was whoever the cast was when they were in high school. And like that, like, I mean, like, I remember Chris Farley and, you know, Phil Hartman a, a lot and Adam Sandler and like that. But like, I think I, I was different. Like, I was more of a nerd. Like, I, I had everybody. Like, I remember being like, wow, Mary Gross. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> but yeah, Far, Farley, that, that kind of era. Dana Carvey. And so when the when the opportunity to audition came up, how did you approach it? And were you, I mean, it obviously was a huge deal to get that that opportunity. So how did you feel going into that? It was nuts. Um, I I knew, like, I kind of, I mean, I was aspiring for that. And I kind of was, was trying to. And I think I, I was just doing shows at UCB and I got on their radar through Horatio Sands. I started doing shows with him, doing like the Kings of Improv tour. And then got on their radar, auditioned for the show, and just kind of went through the the whole process. But it, it took a long time. It, between the time I auditioned and the time I got the show was like 14 months because of the writer's strike. So I had like the writer's strike in the middle of that, and then I didn't get it and then came back and then got it. So you, you auditioned once and didn't get it and then came back. So how did you how did that work in terms of because I know you're, you're supposed to kind of do entirely new stuff, right? When you come back for the second one? Yeah, I think like I auditioned. I went through the whole process. I got called back. I talked to Lauren. He said, like, I think we'll start you in January. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, I think <laughs> I just got it. But then three days later, the writer's strike oh, happened God. and I went, maybe not. And then. I think when they called me back, it ended up like Maya Rudolph left. So they they hired Casey Wilson instead, and I was devastated. But they were like, well, keep in touch. And I was like, I'm never going to hear from them again. And then I got a call that was like, hey, can you come in next week and do all new stuff? And I was like, no, <laughs> but I'll be there. And uh, and I did. I think, But I think that's what got me the show even more so was the second time I went in. I kind of just went, screw it. I'm just going to go do like, here's 30 stupid things that I think are funny and left going like, I'm never going to get that. And 
a week later was my first show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's almost like the pressure of, of thinking that you weren't going to get it made you uh, have a better audition. You think it definitely helped because the second time around, well, it definitely helped because it was like the worst that could happen is I feel exactly the same as I did yesterday. <laughs> so yeah, I kind of, didn't, it didn't matter at that point. I was just trying to have a good time. That's pretty insane, too, that your first show was a week after. I mean, they, you started that fast. You know, I'm not positive. It's been a long time since then. It may have been relatively but fast. It seemed, yeah, it <laughs> yeah. was relatively fast. So, what was that like, kind of getting thrown into that world that you had, you know, spent so much of your childhood <laughs> thinking about and, and dreaming about? Uh, it's crazy. I still remember the first episode. Like, it was the first episode was it was a different experience than the other 192. Oh, really? Like, it, it was, yeah, it was it, the first episode was 100% pure space camp. Like, I, I accidentally ended up in space and now I'm here <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm in this Will Forte sketch that I used to watch and now I'm in it. And like, running back and forth in the studio. Like, it's like, well, we got, got to run full force across the studio because we don't have time. It's like, you have time, Bobby. Like, <laughs> like, like <laughs> you're a little too excited. I was sprinting across the studio to make my, make my entrance. And they were like, we have, we have two minutes and 35 seconds. That's two hours in SNL time. And I was just like, got it. Um, so yeah, like it was just magical. And then, the, and then from that moment on, it was sheer panic and terror every day. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember the first, uh, the first real character that you got on that was sort of like your... Yeah, I got super lucky my first episode. I wrote a character that I had been doing at UCB for many years. I had done it like the exact sketch, almost word for word, weeks before at UCB. And then it was on SNL. It was a character called Mark Payne. It's a silly, silly waiter thing. But uh, yeah that's probably pretty unusual that you get the, you know, something that you, mm. is really yours on your first show. Right. I think it's definitely unusual. And I was very lucky that Michael Phelps was the host and really <laughs> wasn't like a heavy hitter in comedy because, uh, Tom Hanks was the original first host. And if he had hosted, I would not have been in the show. <laughs> and, and, Michael Phelps, very last minute, it got changed to Michael Phelps because he won all, like, you know, he won everything like that week and they changed it to Michael Phelps and he was extremely tired. So I was in, <laughs> I was in nine out of 10 sketches in my first episode and I never had another show like that again. That's so funny. Yeah. It's like almost like a, a beginner's, beginner's luck kind of thing. A thousand percent. I love, I, I lucked into the best host possible for my first episode. <laughs> One sketch that you did uh, a lot over the years that really stood out to me was the uh, the Fox and Friends uh, parody that you guys did, um, <laughs> yeah. playing playing Brian Kilmeade. Um, I was curious if you if you spent much time, you know, sort of researching him and, and trying to get into that uh, that guy's head for that character. Uh no, no, I did not. I, I watched <laughs> for five minutes and I went. I, I think I I think I get it. It's pretty uh, <laughs> not not a lot to not a lot to examine there. No. I will say, though, I am surprised that the first gay athlete was in basketball. I would have thought it would have been hockey, you know, because it's so close to figure skating. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I always thought it would be the guy in football who hikes the ball. I mean, he's already in that position. Good so point! Good point! Tom Gretchen, I thought it would be a WNBA player. I mean, a lot of those guys look like women already. <laughs> Brian, those are women. Oh, come on now. That's not true. <laughs> That's why it's called the WNBA. What did you oh. think the W stood for? I, I don't know. Worse? 
were those sketches fun to do or it was with Taryn Killam and, and Vanessa, right? Yeah. Yeah. They were my favorites. Vanessa and Taryn are two of my closest friends. So yeah, I think we were also very nerdy. You could, you could tell by every single one of our live from New York during those sketches where we like clamor all over each other and hug each other. We're, we're so happy. <laughs> we're, we're, we're children. We're happy, happy children in those moments. But yeah, those, those sketches, Brian Tucker, I believe used to write, write those with us. And it was, it was so much fun. Christine Nangle too, used to write all the fake, uh, Oh yeah. The, the scroll of fake of things scroll that headlines yeah. that went by. They were amazing. <laughs> people would yeah. screenshot those and share them on social media. Yeah. I remember that was a big thing for a while. Um, you, you know, you obviously did so many characters, so many, uh, celebrity impressions over the years. Did you, did you ever hear from the people who you impersonated or did you ever have any strange interactions with people who, who you, who you played on the show? Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Brian Kilme tried, he like sent me a signed book and I'm not a fan. Uh, you didn't read I'm it. I'm not a fan at all. Um, no, he said a lot of terrible things. Uh, yeah, he's just, I'm not, I, I don't even wish to speak of him. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that I'm always just fascinated with, with SNL is the, the pitching process. And I had, um, uh, JB Smoove on the podcast a while back talking oh. about, um, his infamous, uh, pitching where he would sort of legendary. Just, like, Legend, yeah, he's sort of like the most legendary pitcher. Did you have any uh, sort of surreal experiences pitching any specific hosts that, you, that come to mind when you think about those? I mean, every week it was the, the I would say the worst part of Saturday Night Live was that moment. Those five seconds every week where you had to look at like Gwyneth Paltrow in the face and go, hi. <laughs> and explain your joke. Yeah, it was the worst. That was my my least favorite part about it. I, I will say I always had in the back of my mind that if I have, I had like a little book of ideas and I always wrote down, because I had seen that video of J.B. Smooth's pitches and I wrote down a couple of them and I always went, if I'm ever really, really in a bad place and I don't have anything, I'm just going to read J.P. Smooth's pitches and see if people realize it. But thank God I never got that there. That never happened. No, I never got there. But I really wanted to. I don't, gosh, I don't remember. Like, my worst pitch ever, I think maybe might have been I pitched to um, John Hamm that he was tall Napoleon. And the whole joke was that he just was really nice. And he wasn't really he mad. He anymore. didn't like that one? No one did. <laughs> <laughs> It was yeah. just a silly dumb joke. <laughs> um, what about, is there one that, that was like your best pitch that went really well and got on the show? Um, as far as pitches go, I remember like, I remember one for Sigourney Weaver early on. I, I pitched her that we were a, you know, those like, you know, like in the fabulous Baker boys when like a lady sings and she lies down on the piano. I was like, so we're like a husband and wife duo called fire and rice. And, uh, <laughs> we, um, we're a lounge act and you lie on the piano and sing, but you have trouble with it because you're afraid of heights and you're afraid that you're going to fall off the piano. <laughs> and like, that was it. It was, it was just a dumb joke. And her eyes lit up. Like, I love this idea. <laughs> and, and it was my first year on the show. So I had never had like, the meeting is done and they called me back in and they were like, Sigourney really loves that idea. Can she wants to talk to you about it? She was like, I love that idea. I want to sing this song and I want to do this. And I was just like, what? And like had no idea and then ended up writing it. And like, she's the reason it got on the air. It was the last sketch of the night. And the whole joke at the end was that she fell off the back and it was like a 90 foot drop. And she, <laughs> and that was the whole joke. <laughs> it was ridiculous. It was insane, but she got it on the air because she loved it. And I like that, 
when people ask about pitches, that one sticks out to me because that was one of those where like I had nothing, and then on Sunday I was just like, well, just did that with Sigourney Weaver. That was insane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wonder if there's a little bit of like you pitch that and you're you you don't expect it to get okayed, and then when it does, it's like <laughs> a little scary that you actually have to oh, then then make definitely. that happen. That happened many times. My um, I think the second to last episode of my second to last season was uh, I remember it because I was tired and I was like. We wrote this sketch, and I was like, there's no way they're going to do this sketch. The set is absolutely insane. They can't build it. They, there's no way they can build it in time, and they're not going to build it. So there's no way that this is going to get in, but at least I handed in my comedy sketch. And it got in, and we were and we shot it till like 6 o'clock in the morning on Saturday. The, uh, Which one was that? American Ninja Warrior sketch, where I was the guy who just kept falling immediately, an American <laughs> Ninja Warrior. I was like, there's no way they're going to build the American Ninja Warrior course in 24 hours. And yeah, they built it overnight, and we shot it. like <laughs> We finished shooting at like 6 a.m. in the morning on Saturday, and, and then like, it was on yeah. TV that night. And I was just like, what did I just do to myself? But uh but I love that sketch, and I and the James Anderson and Kent Sublette uh, helped write it, or it was I believe it was Kent's idea, and uh, still can't believe it made it on. <laughs> <laughs> can't believe that they built that tank overnight. Um, you mentioned the SNL twenty fifth, which is also something that that I uh, had. I think I had that VHS and was watching that as a as a kid. Um, you were there for the fortieth, which was just like one of my favorite nights of TV ever. It was just so incredible. So I, I would love to hear your experience of of that night and whether it's what you did on the show or, you know, all the insane things that apparently happened afterwards. It's funny. I have like two 40th experiences, meaning like the, the, the week of the 40th was like fantasy camp. Like it's like you're meeting every single SNL cast member ever and every single famous person in the world. They're all there. They came three days before and started drinking. Like, <laughs> and like, it was just a three day long party where like you're talking to Eddie Murphy and then you're talking to Jim Carrey and you have to say, excuse me, because George Lucas is walking by and you're just like, <laughs> what is happening? It makes no sense. It was like that. It, uh, it was absolutely insane. I turned into a fanboy. I was no longer Bobby on the show. I turned into 15 year old Bobby. I got to like sit in the audience and watch, and then I just couldn't sit in the audience anymore. And I, I was running around like a lunatic. I stole a lot of props, um, <laughs> and uh, I was the shark, the land shark during Update, and I ate Tina Fey. And after that moment, I went up to uh, my my office and celebrated, <laughs> and uh, ran around like a lunatic. And it was it was like the best night ever. But I I remember getting a text from like a friend of mine from high school that was just a picture of his TV screen and it was during the credits and it was like me, Jack Nicholson, Paul McCartney and Jim Carrey talking. <laughs> and I, I like broke in half and like, I don't remember the 40th, but then like a few years later, I, I got to go up to uh, uh, Boston to go to the SNL museum or like the SNL museum tour that they were doing. It was like an exhibit that they were sending. It was in New York for a while. And then it was in, in Boston. I got to go out there. And that was like insane because the way that the way that it was set up was the, the final room in the museum was a replica of like the SNL stage, the set where the music was, uh, they have an update. And then like they had the, a set that was celebrity jeopardy. And 
I got to go in before the exhibit opened that day. So I was there by myself in this big fake SNL set. And what they didn't tell me was that the complete end of the show is this like hologram spectacular where (laughs) Tina Fey comes out and does a final monologue and, and like a screen came down. So I'm st- essentially w- what's happening is I'm standing alone in a fake SNL set and a hologram of Tina Fey comes out <laughs> and says, congratulations. And then they roll the unedited footage of the good nights from the 40th anniversary, but without without the credits and it's projected on a screen that's life size. So all of a sudden, three years later, I am now standing in front of alone in a room, standing in front of a giant projection of myself talking to like Keith Richards and Horatio. So weird. And I just got to sit there for five minutes and like relive the entire experience. Like I was a ghost watching it happen. And I just went, well, well, I don't know who dialed that up in the universe for me, but that was one of the greatest. So like for some reason, the 40th didn't hit me until like then. <laughs> that's so funny. It's like something that's something that's designed for fans that weren't there, but it maybe it was even more impactful for you who was there. Exactly. It was, well, it's also weird. Cause it's like, it always made me realize like, I'm definitely like, I'm, I'm probably not the first fanboy, but like definitely one of the bigger fanboys to get. It's weird to be on both sides to be like, Oh, that's me on Saturday night live. And I can see that, but I'm also going, and like we're high-fiving each other going like we did (laughs) coming up bobby reveals what donald trump really thought about the adoring words he received from his unabashedly racist character drunk uncle jewelry isn't a gift you give just once it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. If you're enjoying this episode of The Last Laugh, there are so many others from our free archive that you should check out. I just went back and counted, and believe it or not, Bobby is the eighth SNL cast member we've had on the show, including our very first episode with Sarah Silverman and last month's talk with Colin Quinn. So please make sure you are subscribed to The Last Laugh wherever you get your podcasts so you can hear all of those great episodes and be the first to hear new episodes when they drop every Tuesday. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts to let us know how much you love the show. Now, back to my interview with Bobby Moynihan. So I know, you know, one thing that you've talked about, especially after you left the show, was sort of how the whole Trump thing transformed 
the show in a lot of ways or, or changed it for you. But I was curious, how much of that do you think kind of stemmed from the whole thing around him hosting in, in 2015, where there was sort of like, the, was that a turning point at all for, for you on the show or for the show itself, do you think? Yeah, it just made everything different. It, it, it It's hard to make fun of something that is inherently a joke in the first place. And like, it feels like we all knew that this was going to happen in some way. Not like we knew and did it anyway, but like, you know, like it was, it's that thing of like when someone dies or something and a comedian like makes a joke about it and you're like, ah, oh, man, like, I don't know. But, but at the same time, you're like, I get it. Cause that's how we cope with stuff. It felt like that a little bit like, <laughs> but I don't know. He, uh, he changed a lot of things for the worse. He did. Did you have any interaction with him that night that he hosted? Uh, yeah, unfortunately. Um, I've spoken about this before, but like I, I have this weird past with him. Like I, I've run into him a couple times. Like the first time I did Conan, he was a guest and we spoke and just uh, he he remembered me for another job. And like I, I've run into him a couple times. I had jury duty with him and he remembered what? me. I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> I get, wait, I have to hear about this. What was jury duty with Donald Trump like? It wasn't anything. I it was right when he got well, right when he announced that he was running for president <laughs> and he had jury duty i had skipped jury duty twice i had moved it two times i was like there's no way and then the last time i was like i can't change it i have to go and i showed up that morning and it was in new york and there were truck like news trucks everywhere and i was like what is happening why did i get on like a murder trial and <laughs> yeah i went in and i sat down we were there for a couple hours and nothing was happening and i remember the cops like talking to each other being like what the hell's going on today and they showed us this video that was like this is exactly how today is gonna go and then five seconds later it was like <laughs> and he walks in and he points at a chair and he goes i want to sit there and they took a picture of him sitting there uh, oh my god <laughs> and they took a picture of him sitting there for a second and then he got up and he walked out. That was his jury duty. <laughs> and then he saw me and he was like, Mr. Moynihan, how you doing? And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> He's he like, knows who I am. It's like, you're going to play me on SNL this year? And I was like, no, bye. <laughs> like, he walked away and then we got sent to lunch and, and told we didn't have to come back. We told we were released and that it was chaos. And that was the end of jury duty for everyone involved. <laughs> yeah, he's chaos. That's crazy. Chaos. Uh, but yeah, and then SNL, he was a nightmare. <laughs> An absolute nightmare. As as a, as a host, did, is he sort of like the worst host that you've uh, that you had to deal with the whole time? Do you think? You know what? I'll say I'll I'll say by far no. He was not really? the, the worst <laughs> host as far as like you have to deal with. He was just you know it just it's delusional. I keep telling the story of like I've told this story before. Just like he did something wrong. He he did something completely wrong, and they were like cut. Hey, you did that wrong. And he was like, no, I didn't. <laughs> and, uh, and they were like, yes, you did. And he was like, no, I didn't roll back the tape. Like he tried to like prove yeah. it and they, and they did. And they showed it to him. He was like, I like it better that way. You can't, you can't tell him that he's wrong. No, it was like, it was like I, the, the vibe felt like, a, like bratty rich child. Like what's the, what was, um, Francis and Pee Wee's big adventure. <laughs> yeah. Like he reminded me of Francis. <laughs> <laughs> you did that, that, episode that he hosted i believe you did drunk uncle that night right on on weekend update yeah that was the, i think the last drunk one of the last drunk uncles i did was was that one and i remember thinking like this is one of the only things in the show that's actually really bad mouthing him and pointing out how racist and terrible he is 
And he walked up to me afterwards and I'm like, oh no. And he shook my hand and he was like, thank you so much. That was <laughs> so nice to hear such nice things being said. And I was like, you moron. Drunk uncle, you seem happier than usual. <laughs> it's Trump time, baby! <laughs> Finally, Colin, someone is saying the things that I have been thinking as well as saying. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's like, it's like I'm running for president, you know? It's like we have like a million things in common, you know? We both love white Russians. <laughs> His dad gave him a million dollar loan. I told my dad I love him. He told me to leave him alone. So, that's two. And his wife's name is Melania. And my doctor said that's what this mole is. The whole bit is that you're this horrible racist character who's praising him. I Yeah, I was saying he's just like me. I love him. And he was just like, thank you. And I was like, no, no, you idiot. I was hoping, I thought you were going to be mad and you're not. And now I'm mad that you're not mad. That says a lot about how he, uh, how he took the praise from, you know, white supremacists and Ugh. people over the, over the past four years that followed. Um, exactly. That's, that's really crazy. So given that he liked it, did you, did that make you feel any differently about doing it? Or did you feel like it was, it was still delivered what you wanted to the, audience well no i mean yeah it was like it didn't change anything other than the fact that that dumb idiot didn't get it <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it was it wasn't too long after that that you that you left the show i mean you were there for the 2016 season right with and that's when yes. sort of a lot of the celebrity cameos started happening and alec baldwin <laughs> yeah. and it kind of i mean from my perspective and i think you know for a lot of fans of the show it felt like the cast was getting sidelined somewhat and so did that have anything to do with with your your feelings about the show or, or leaving that that you were that maybe there was less to no. do no, my age, <laughs> my age, yeah, and my my wanting, just... my need to sleep and want to start a family. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think that had anything to do with it. It was. I definitely saw that trend happening, but uh, it was more. It was definitely more. I wanted to sleep again. <laughs> yeah, and you, and it was your decision to leave, right? I mean, after after nine seasons, which obviously not everyone gets to make that that decision to leave. So that that must have kind of felt good to to leave on your own terms, right? Yeah, I think I could have. I think I think I could have stayed forever. Uh, I think I could have put a bed next to Keenan's and just set up <laughs> yeah. shop. We could have had a, our SNL bunk beds and stay. I would have. I love the show. I, I miss it greatly. But yeah, now now that I'm a couple years out, I go like, yeah, no, I made that decision to go, and like now I I I, I sleep at night. <laughs> you feel you feel good about it? Well, yeah, I, I miss it. I miss it more than anything in the world. Meaning, I miss coming up with a joke at five o'clock in the morning with my friends that means nothing, and then seeing it on TV and talking to you about it years later. That 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 like, yeah, that part. There's nothing good. like it. It was magical, and for all the complaining you can do about like, oh, SNL was so hard and all that stuff. Like it was my I was on SNL for nine years. It's still pretty stupid. <laughs> and then once you did leave, I mean, what were the what were the sort of the things that you were leaving for or decided that you that you wanted to pursue you know in the after the show i had no idea i think that was it i had just gotten married and, and wanted to start a family and that was really it and i think that period especially was like well i don't want to do anything because that's it i got snl and now i'm done with life and now i will be a dad i guess because that's the other thing i wanted and like like 
there was this weird period where they were like, do you want to do a sitcom? And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? I'll do a sitcom like while I'm doing all this other stuff. And, <laughs> and, uh, that went away. And then now I, I lived in LA and got to raise my daughter for three years and work on all this other stuff and write a bunch of stuff that's coming out soon. And and now I'm on a, a another dream show that I love and all is well, other than this pandemic. <laughs> yeah, other than that. So, you know, as we were saying at the beginning, Mr. Mayor came to you through uh, Tina Fey and, and Robert Carlock, and this is their new show. And you had worked with them a few times before, right? You'd worked, you'd been on, on 30 rock back in the day and then, uh, unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Yeah. I knew Tina from SNL. And then I think, yeah, one of the first things was I played, I played, uh, Liz Lemon super. It was, I was dressed as, as Wario from super Mario. <laughs> and I was her super, literally super Wario. And I talk like this. It, it got cut. It's on one of the DVDs. Oh, okay. Like it's like an extended scene. I was going to say, it's, I don't, I don't remember that, but I, but it sounds very it's funny. Absolutely insane. She literally <laughs> is asking to change something about, and I tell her like I could climb in the pipes and it, it's, it's insane. Uh, and then I did another episode of 30 rock, but I was in sisters with her. And then, yeah, I met Robert doing Kimmy Schmidt, but I had heard about him. You know, he was a legend at SNL that day. I did Kimmy Schmidt, those couple episodes of Kimmy Schmidt that I did. Like I, I fell in love. I went like, Oh, I I've never felt more like I wanted to say some of these words ever i went home to my wife and i was like i met robert carlock he's the coolest like the, the set was so fun like i hope i get to work with him someday and then yeah and then a couple months later i got the, the call from tina yeah i mean they have such a unique uh style you know that runs throughout all of these shows and this like just intense you know uh density of jokes and it's just like you know very they're just really funny um how would you describe you know what it's like to perform their words and perform their the, the way that they write uh it's the best. I, I like it because it's like there's a show happening and there's a plot to the show, but the jokes go like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, you, it's like to get to that joke, we have to go down here a couple times and then take a little trip up. Here. Like a lot of it, it's very wordy and very dense, but it makes for like, the only way I could explain is that it makes for a lot of emotions in short chunks of time. And <laughs> I enjoyed doing that. Like drunk uncle was just like, I'm sad. I'm crying. I'm screaming happy. I want to kill you. And I'm asleep. And like in like five seconds. And it's like, I think I, I enjoy doing that kind of stuff. <laughs> so, but getting to be on set and, and also coming from an improv background and finishing a scene and go, they're like, do you want to improvise anything? And I'm like, no, no, I'm good. Like I, that was, <laughs> I can't improve on that. <laughs> like, and having them on set to go like, Oh, try this line or do this. Like it's the greatest. So now that you're on this, this uh, sitcom, Mr. Mayor, you are playing, you know, one character week to week and you really get to sort of develop that character over time. And I think this is an example of a show. And I think most comedy sitcoms are kind of like this where the more, you get to know these characters the funnier the show will get inevitably so how do you think about that especially compared to you know coming from a sketch background where you're playing someone different every week and you're kind of figuring out the character right before you go on and all these things and, and now you get to really you know dig into someone even if it's not like a serious you know drama it's still there's character development there and is that something that you've that you've enjoyed doing yeah it's it's fascinating uh i think with snl everything happens so fast and then it's done and it's like by mon sunday to monday is one thing and then it's done you may get to do that character again. You know, I got to do Drunk Uncle a couple times, some characters a couple times. But in, in, in this world, you're doing the same thing. And and, and also what I'm what I'm not used to is uh, I, I get wildly panicked if I screw up and they're like, hey, we're not live. 
Like you have another chance. Like <laughs> that, that part of it is de- definitely like I, it was a learning curve a little bit. Yeah. I can imagine that would be ingrained in you that like you have to nail it on the first take. Yeah. I, w- I would get really frustrated if I didn't because I would feel awful. Cause I was like, that's it. Cause I'm so used to that, <laughs> but it was just like, no, relax, Bobby. It's okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> but having done uh, a different sitcom called me, myself and I and worked on that one with John Larroquette and, and Jaleel white and kind of like learned from them, like these guys who had done sitcom television their whole lives and were legends in it. I mean, Steve Urkel, Jaleel, Jaleel was Steve Urkel. Like he, it, to, to learn kind of some of the business from him and see how he does it. And then it was at the end of that, we did 13 episodes of that sitcom. And I remember being like, well, this was weird. Like, like now I'm like, well, sometimes like when I act, I'm still doing Alex from that show, like kind of thing. And then when this show started, it's been so stop and go because of the pandemic, but it is a bizarre feeling. Like I definitely have a feeling of like, Oh, I'm acting like Jaden now. <laughs> like if that makes sense, <laughs> it, it, it is weird to play a character multiple times and go like, Oh, Jade, like, there was one episode, I think it's like the third episode or something. It was a scripted line where Jaden got pissed off and like put his hat down and, and instead of cursing, just went banana. And it was like a <laughs> Tina Fey joke, uh, you know, uh, and a couple episodes later, I was angry at something and just went banana and walked away. And I just went like, <laughs> oh, my goodness, like I'm turning into. That's so funny. But it, it does happen. You, you, it is it is fun to do that. Yeah. I mean, Ted Danson is another one who is like probably done more sitcom episodes than almost anybody else. Um, so what, yeah. have you, what have you learned from from working with him and watching him? Um, the effortlessness that he does it with. Uh, he's been in this business for a long time. And it's a lot about how you, you know, we're we're only on camera for a short amount of time a day. And 90% of our jobs is either waiting around or practicing to do what we're going to do in those couple moments. And you can be really good at that and really terrible at waiting around. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and that's bad. And Ted Danson has taught me that like, or you could just be like a professional gentleman throughout the entire day. It's definitely a, a classiness and a, a way of working from, from a long time ago that, that still sticks. And I feel like our, our show benefits from it. And then on the other end, you have Holly Hunter, who hasn't maybe this might be her first television show, I believe, maybe like other than Succession or something. But um, her first first like, comedy television show, for sure. Yeah. And it's like getting a master class in acting every day. Like it's I, I we did an episode where uh, our characters drive up to Sacramento together and I was in a car all day with her. And it was like the be- it was the best day of my life. One of the best working days ever because she's just so fun and wonderful and two different styles completely ted is easy going and let's just do these scenes because i'm sam malone from cheers and holly hunter is like lock it in yeah let's do this and you're like yeah and like i love equally <laughs> both if you could have a dinner party with anyone living or dead eleanor roosevelt her girlfriend lorena hickok and wayne brady because he just cracks me up. <laughs> what is your fondest memory? Seeing a bachelorette party fall off a haunted hayride. What's your greatest fear? Holes. Clusters of holes. What? It's called trypophobia. Basically, when I see a cut open pomegranate or an empty Connect Four grid, to my mind, it looks like diseased flesh. I almost fainted today when Neil showed that honeycomb. Ooh, a bee apartment. I was feeling so good till then. You think Bremer did that to mess with me? He could have access to my psychological evaluation. What? No. Are you crazy? <laughs> Showed you a bunch of holes? 
Just a bunch of close together holes. Talk about something else. Okay. Um, would you like to make eye contact for four minutes? Sure. You mentioned, you know, the stop and start with the pandemic. And it is, I was, I thought it was so funny that there's like a COVID joke in the first scene of this series, which really, you know, tells you that it was made, you know, during and after and, and throughout this time. Um, what has that been like in terms of trying to make something in this weird way when you have to operate in such a different, in a different way? Um, it's crazy. Like we're, I think now, I think episode six is like all post pandemic, but like, like when you say that thing in the first episode, like we shot the first episode a year ago, and then some of those COVID lines are shot a year later, and just those lines. So there'll be a shot where you're watching it, and it cuts to me, cuts away, cuts back, and it's a year later, <laughs> cuts to me, and then cuts back, and it's a year before. Like there's like, and I can tell, and I'm like, I can't believe people can't tell that this is a year apart. People aren't thinking about that. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's crazy. But like, yeah, a lot of the COVID mentions were shot like a month ago. <laughs> it's insane. Um, it, It's been a crazy process and it's, but I also think in, 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 in the worst way possible, we benefited from it in the sense of like, we did a couple episodes and we shut down and then we spent months on zoom getting to know each other through these world crises like and and kind of got to know each other really well and once we came back to shoot it felt like a reunion for a show that hadn't aired yet <laughs> so uh we end every episode of the podcast by um asking comedians about other comedians in their lives who have who've made you laugh the hardest. Um, so what I would love to hear from you is maybe somebody from who came before you who who influenced you and really made you laugh, and then someone sort of coming up after you who who you think is really exciting and and really funny. Wow, I mean, it's so hard to choose because you're my like I, I automatically go to Chris Farley every time because that's the easy thing to say, but like. I've been trying to really think about it, like, you know, like, like Mr. Show was such a huge thing in like the state, like all those things. Like I realized how huge of an impact like they were, but like talking to somebody recently about how, like, I didn't realize how much Ace Ventura, like Jim Carrey, like that first scene of him walking and kicking the box. I remember being in the theater being like, yeah, this is the funniest <laughs> thing I've ever seen. You know, like, yeah. like the, yeah. just the comedy impact or like how you don't realize that at 44, you quote Spaceballs every day of your life and you don't realize it <laughs> things like that but like a specific comedian i don't know well i mean i know chris farley is is, is sort of a go-to but is that is he's someone who you really uh that you really connected with and did you think about him when you got to snl and and your role there in, in the cast and did you did you relate to him in that way well i think people automatically relate to they they see fat guy and they go you're chris farley or they they just they put you in this thing i have people come up to me on the street and go i i love you as carol and i'm like that's ratio but thank you and you know <laughs> yeah. like they it's it's you just become this shape and and on saturday night live but there's kind of a lineage to it that's interesting that where it's like a type or role that's been passed down in the in the show yeah it, it's funny it's like yeah it was like they haven't had someone like you since horatio and like i want to i want to say like do you, you you're just you just mean fat yeah. like yeah. It's, it's a, that's it's awful. a little limiting that's yeah that's that's mean and terrible um uh <laughs> We're still people. Um, <laughs> but I also think he was an absolute genius. Horatio, too. Chris Farley was. But Horatio never. I, I truly believe Horatio never got the due he deserved on SNL. He is 
one of the best live performers I've ever seen. Yeah, he is absolutely so pure, pure joy. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember being super into like Jack Black and Tenacious D. And remember being like, I wish I was as cool as Jack Black. Like, I wish I was. I wish I could be as confident in his body as he is. <laughs> and just like he just seemed so awesome, and his voice is phenomenal. And yeah. And then is there is there someone who is uh, is sort of coming up after you that you that you really uh, are enjoying or is really making you laugh right now? Um, I've, got, I've been watching a lot of uh, Jordan Klepper stuff recently. He's really kills me. He also took over for me when I left my improv team. Like uh, he like was we were on the same improv team, but uh, he's his stuff recently has just been really making me laugh. Stumbled upon a comedian named Robin Tran recently that really made me laugh. Trying to think of anybody else. Oh, do you know Three Busy Debras? Oh, you know, I, I still have to check that out, but I, I've only heard good things. So Absolutely. I, yeah, I want to I want to see that as well. Hilarious. Thank you so much for doing this. And um, I'm just a, a huge fan of, of your work and, and, you know, really enjoying the, the new show and can't wait to see what uh, what else you have coming up next. So have a good day. Thank you so much. Thank you so much to Bobby Moynihan for being on today's show. Mr. Mayor airs Thursday nights at 8 p.m. on NBC, and you can stream all of the episodes on Peacock or Hulu. If you're enjoying The Last Laugh, please help us out by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We want as many people to hear this show as possible, and you can help by spreading the word and sharing it with your friends. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at TheDailyBeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at Last Laugh Pod on Instagram, where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast, with audio production by Jesse Cannon. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.